how many just love the season that we're in right now? I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas because it's about Jesus and it's about worship. I just love this time. And so I'm getting excited about it. Uh, I want to pray and then let's just get right into the message this morning. You're going to be blessed today. You're going to be transformed. Something's going to happen in your heart today. Father, we love you. We thank you that we get to worship you, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you, Lord, that when we join our hearts in worship and and we just set our eyes and affections on you, you manifest your presence. Jesus said, if, if we're gathered, you said, if we're gathered in your name, Lord, that you are there and you manifest your presence and power. And so we, again, join our hearts and we welcome you and we just say, come and we say, come in power, come kingdom of God in Jesus name. Would you shout amen with me? Come on. We serve such an amazing God. You know, I was thinking about this season and, uh, I, I mean, I just love Christmas. I can't wait. We have a tradition that, um, on Thanksgiving, is that right? Or the next day after Thanksgiving, which they call black Friday, um, all the, the sales gone. We try to get all of our Christmas shopping done that day. And it just it doesn't feel great when you get all your shopping done. And so we, we try to do that. And, uh, um, and we also put up the Christmas tree that day because then it's just done. And then it's like, it makes the house so cozy and who just loves Christmas trees and the fireplace. If you have a fireplace right next to the tree and I love just spending time with my family, my kids. I was thinking about that in, in reference to what the season about. How many know it's about Jesus? This is an opportunity for us as we move into this season of prayer and thanksgiving into Christmas, the Christmas season. We're going to do two uh, Christmas Eve services, and it is going to be to reach people. And and we want to just, we want to love on people. How many know that that? it seems like the enemy always tries to creep in around this season and get people depressed. I think because he knows that God will use his people to manifest Jesus in the season. Even though he may have been born in October, who cares about all that? We celebrate the birth of the Savior and we exalt him. And, and, you know, I just want to emphasize that as I begin to, to share with you what's on my heart. I was thinking about Jesus and I was thinking about, uh, sometimes, and even around Christmas time, around Easter, sometimes they'll play like Jesus movies. Who's seen Jesus of Nazareth? Come on, you guys have seen that. Or you've seen the movie Jesus. I love those movies. I'll just sit there. It's like one of those Saturday morning movies. You just, kids, be quiet. Jesus is on. And, and And you just watch. And there's something about those movies that just, it gives me butterflies. Like I just, I want to jump in the screen and I want to be right next to Peter and John, and I want to punch Judas in his face. Not really, but I, I want to be, I want to, who's ever thought, I know everyone here's thought it. Come on. You've wanted to just go jump in that movie and be right there with him and be one of the disciples to see. I want to hug his in God in flesh, God incarnate. I want a hug from Jesus. And I was thinking about this season and something just like stirs my heart. And, and some of you may have a favorite disciple um, for certain seasons of your life. Maybe you change disciples. You know, I, I love Peter because he was crazy and God used him. I identify with that. Praise the Lord. I love John and I was thinking about John and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. 
We know him as John the Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I was thinking about how well he knew Jesus. How many know that he was one of the three in the, in the little spiritual inner, inner circle that Jesus had? <laughs> he was one of the three. Jesus favored him. Maybe it was because when Jesus said something, he listened. There's a scripture that says that he actually quoted it as he wrote in the, in, in the gospel of John. He quoted it like a scripture in the Old Testament, the way that he wrote it out. But it was actually something Jesus said previously in his ministry. He clung to every word of Jesus as if it was on the same level of the Old Testament scriptures. I think about John. I think about how he was right next to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying so fervently that he's literally sweating drops of blood. And John was right next to him. I mean, John knew Jesus. How many would say John knew Jesus pretty well? John was at the cross when all the disciples left. I mean, John the Beloved. There's something about his relationship with Jesus. We can look through the Gospels and see. We can read the the Gospel of John. I've always heard Bible study teachers say, Miss Lori always says, if you want to fall in love with Jesus, you need to read John because John loved Jesus. You need to love Jesus like John loved Jesus. And I read about how he was there and Jesus said, behold your mother, that there was such a relationship Jesus had with John that he would entrust his very own mom to John being his son and his son would take care of him take care of her. I was thinking about the picture of, you know, times where they're all sitting around and, and, and it says that, you know, John would, would lay his head on the heart of Jesus. I, I want to lay my head on the heart of Jesus. There's something about this season. Sometimes we forget because we've got a lot of theology. We've got a lot of things that we like to talk about. And we've, we've got to memorize scripture, but we can't forget that Jesus is the word. We can't forget that Jesus is the truth. We can't forget that it's all about Jesus. We have the cliches. Jesus is the reason for the season, but I want to tell you, Jesus is the reason for everything. And I want to be like John. There's the unspoken historical account of Peter sitting around, maybe jealous of that relationship. And, and he tells John, he looks at him and says, John, why don't you pull my finger? You guys know that? No, that actually is not. (laughs) He never did that. But I'm sure there was stuff like that that happened. I bet the other disciples looked and said, man, Jesus sure does love him. And John sure does know Jesus. The one whom Jesus loved. We all know that he was right there at the cross. We also know that he was at the tomb. John chapter 20. I love that little story where Mary sees the tomb was empty. She runs to get Peter and the other disciple who is John, the one whom Jesus loved as he's writing about himself, the one whom Jesus, I bet he was so proud of that. The one whom Jesus loved. And it says that, that Peter and John ran to the tomb, but John outran Peter because he wanted to see the empty tomb. And then he stopped and looked and they didn't, they didn't go in right away. John outran Peter. I mean, if I ask everyone in this room, you love Jesus, you know him. I'm sure everyone in this room would raise their hand. But I want to just, I want to stir a question in us. Not in a condescending way, but what is, 
if the answer is yes, what is the indicator that you love Jesus? What is the indicator that he's in your life? That you're one of those disciples like John that would lay your head on the heart of the Savior. In Acts 4.13, it says, Now when the Jewish leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and found out they were uneducated and ordinary men, say ordinary men and women, they were amazed and realized they had been with Jesus. I wonder what they saw. I wonder that if it was just, well, they were, they were his disciples, but I think it was something more that they saw that, oh, they're his, there's something about these guys. They're acting like that rabbi, Jesus. They're acting like him. There's something of substance that is inside them that when they speak and when they move and when they do things that they, they realize, it says they realize they had been with Jesus. I wonder what the indicator is. Sometimes I stop and I think about this in my own life, like my own relationship with Jesus. I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to shepherd people and teach them about Jesus. And if I don't stop and reflect in my own heart and say, do I know you, Lord? Do I, I I want to know you, but what, what is my indicator in my life? What is the revelation that I've had of you? I think about all the encounters that I've had. And most of the time when we think about encounters we've had with the Lord, it's always in past tense and never in forward tense that God, I want a deeper encounter with you. I want to know Jesus like John did. You ever met somebody in the past? Um, and maybe you get to know him a little bit. This used to happen to me a lot in business. We would meet people and then I would see them again and I didn't remember their name. It's the most awkward, embarrassing thing in the world. And what you need is a, a reintroduction. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, hi. Oh yeah, I'm Zach. And I, and sometimes there was, there was like a business politically correct way to do it. And you would just introduce them to someone that you were with, if you were with someone and it would cause them to introduce themselves. There's like a little trick to it, but it's the most awkward thing when you you knew somebody, but you actually forget their name and you recognize their face. But now take it a little bit deeper. Sometimes in relationships, a little deeper level in marriage or in, in any relationship due to familiarity, we forget the things about the people that touch our hearts. Sometimes we need a revelation relationship reset. Not just with one another, but first and foremost with Jesus. A revelation relationship reset. I want God to hit the reset button on my heart that I would not ever forget the encounters I've had with him, but I would never think that that's it. But I I would always look forward and say, I want to know him like Paul said in Philippians 3. That's the cry of my heart. Isn't that the cry of your heart, saints? I need a reintroduction. I don't want to be so familiar with Christianity that I can quote so many verses, but I I don't know the God of the Scriptures. I want to go from knowledge to encounter. It's a very sad thing when people read the Scripture without being in love with the one who wrote the Scriptures. We know that Jesus told the church in Revelation chapter 2, I see what you're doing. You're doing a lot of good stuff. 
but one thing that I have against you that you left your first love. Most of us are familiar with that verse. Maybe this is the key to really impacting the world. That maybe we're watering down the real Jesus. I mean, can we just challenge it for a minute? Is it okay if we just stop and say, let's, let's just look at our own hearts. Let's look at the way we do ministry in church and say, maybe, you know, I, I, uh, I visited a church recently and, uh, from time to time I, I get to do that. And I love gleaning from ministry. There's just a spirit of excellence and I love worshiping the Lord. Sometimes I will go, you know, to, to gatherings and, um, Jonathan Sprick and, and, uh, and Laris and Brooke and some of the young people, Luis and Sadie and Cass, sometimes they'll go to a, a college and career. Is it youth and college and career gathering? Young adults uh, at another church. And, and I'll show up to worship because they're leading worship. So it's got to be anointed. And I'm just, oh, and I'll just soak. I have the privilege of being able to share with them this Thursday. I'm so excited. This room is packed full of people that love Jesus. There's revival fire just resting over this place. So this Thursday, there's going to be some deep encounters with the Lord. But, you know, I, I've, I like to visit other churches and stuff like that sometimes. And I, I had the privilege of being able to visit this church. But something about it was unsettling to me. It was a little too much like any other meeting. It was a little too much like, a, a, you know, a, a seminar where someone tells you some positive things. The worship service was a little too much of just good music. And there was not that much presence of God. And something in my heart was unsettled and I, I couldn't get it out. And I, I didn't want to dishonor the ministry. So I was really careful. And, and I, but I was thinking about it and I'm like, have we watered down the real Jesus? Shane Claiborne in the irresistible revolution quotes Cornel West. And he says, we have turned the blood of Jesus into Kool-Aid. And we even have different flavors to appeal to people. We're trying to recreate the creator. I remember running into a sister years ago and her necklace said, try God. Something about that was appealing yet at the same time, disturbing. Like God needs to be tried. Like he's some kind of side dish or something like Jesus is some, some seasoning that you can put on your food and make your life a little bit better. Try God. That doesn't work for me. Jesus isn't a side dish. He's the whole thing. He's the main course. I want the real Jesus. I want to love Jesus like John did. John, look at all the things. John at the cross. John at the tomb. John resting his head on the heart of the Lamb of God. I want to know Jesus. I don't want to be a part of anything that would water down the pureness of the Lamb of God. I want the real Jesus. I don't believe we need to try God. I believe Jesus was already tried. He was tried and he was crucified. And he took away the sins of the world and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. We don't need to put God on trial. 30-day money-back guarantee. Maybe we need a revelation relationship reset. I challenge this in my own heart. I often will spend time with the Lord and just let him love on me and, and say, Lord, I know I don't know the depths of your love. 
I think if, if God revealed it all to me at once, I'd probably just die. I don't know. The turmoil Jesus felt when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his, his outer man, his body, did not want to go through that pain, he said, but I'm not going to obey the will of my body. I'm obeying the will of the Father. One time Jesus prayed that in his life, only once. But I think about my own life, and sometimes I feel like I just need to get a fresh or a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. See, our ability to manifest the kingdom is directly connected to our revelation of the king. So what we don't need to do is make Jesus more appealing by adding some flavor to him and turn his precious blood into some tasty Kool-Aid. We don't need to, are you guys with me this morning? We don't need to water down the real Jesus. We need to manifest the real Jesus. And the only way we can manifest the real Jesus is by encountering the real Jesus. My ability to manifest the kingdom is based upon my revelation that I have of the king. So you always act out the image of God you worship. The people standing on the street corners with, with signs that say, turn or burn. The people standing on the street corners that say, repent, and, and or, you know, God's angry at you. And all, they're just angry because that's the, the God that they worship. They have this perverted image of God. That God is some child abuser that poured his wrath on Jesus on the cross, which is nowhere in the Bible. Our sins crushed him on the cross because he willingly laid his life down. And that sacrifice pleased the Father. But see, the image of God you worship is what you're going to act out. If you're an outreach and you're loving people and, and you lo- you're moved with compassion by the one, it's because you've been moved by the compassionate one. Something about a revelation of Jesus. John, John the Beloved. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me. Sometimes, well, I know God, Pastor. I, yeah, I know God. I am not quick to say that. I, I do know God to an extent. But, you know, Israel in the Old Testament got a little arrogant of the covenant they had with God. And they said, God dwells in our temple exclusively. You know what God said? Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. I am so much bigger than you can imagine. You see, listen, listen, get this. God will always be way bigger than your revelation of him. Well, there's no more, Pastor. There's oh, For all eternity, you will realize how much more there is. God will always be bigger than your revelation of him. That's why I don't come to conclusions on these doctrines and things. And well, this is her, 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 her. Oh, stop it. You're not even John. You didn't rest your head on his heart and you act like he's your homie. Jesus is my homeboy. I know he's, I know we're friends with the Messiah. I know we have access. I know we're seated in heavenly places. I'm not believing that. I know he lives in my heart, but he's bigger than me. And my revelation of him, he's way bigger than my revelation. My personal, everyone's personal revelation of him in this room. God's way bigger than all that. 
And we think we've got it down. I just want to challenge that, not in a condescending way, but say, do we need a revelation relationship reset? Maybe you know Jesus at the cross. I mean, John knew him really well. Maybe you know him to be the raised Messiah. Maybe you have this picture in mind, oh, he ascended into heaven. But there's something about the glorified Lamb of God that we read in the life of John in Revelation chapter 1, where John knew him in all of those ways, yet he was about to see Jesus in a whole new way. And in Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, let me just read to you. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet And the voice said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, in Ephesus, in Cernia, Pergamos, Thyatira, and Sardius, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Not only did that represent the seven churches, But the menorah always represents revelation. And each one being the seven-fold Spirit of God listed in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of, And it goes through the seven attributes, the seven-fold Spirit of God. Here's what it means. It always represents the knowledge of God. In the tabernacle, the, the menorah represents the knowledge of God. So not only is he seeing these things that represent the church, but one, like the Son of Man, it's about a revelation. He was about to have a, a fresh revelation of Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that everyone here needs a vision just like this. It may come in a different way where you're at the altar worshiping and there's so much love that just pours out on your being that you cannot contain it. And your heart begins to burn and say yes to the Lord. And your, and your revelation that you currently have with God becomes greater and it changes your heart. It changes who you are. So it says here that in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with the golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of many waters. This is John the Beloved. This is the guy that was at the Last Supper. This is the one whom Jesus loved. He was probably closer to Jesus than anyone else. He was at the cross. He was at the tomb. He was there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended. But now he's seen Jesus in a whole nother light. And I want to know Jesus like John knew Jesus. But I want a revelation relationship reset in my own life. I want to see Jesus. There's something about the connection of your heart with your eyes. The eyes of your heart, your spiritual senses awaken. Wherever you set your eyes on, your heart will gravitate to. And likewise, whatever your heart is set on, your eyes will gravitate to. They're connected. The eyes of your heart. Jesus says his eyes were like fire. Man, what did that look like? I can think for a moment when I think about people that have had encounters with the Lord, like Heidi Baker, when she was a missionary to Mozambique, one of the hardest places in the earth to be a missionary, 
where Muslims are killing Christians and beheading them. And, and she goes and she has an orphanage, thousands, and, and she has an encounter with the Lord. And she sees into the eyes of Jesus, and it's, she, she said it this way, that his eyes were like liquid love piercing her being. And she had to say yes. God says, would you go and get my Makua bride, the bride that I have in this region? She said yes. After this encounter she had with the Lord, after seven days of barely being able to walk or stand, she had to have help moving around and doing things because she was so caught up in the glory of heaven. After this encounter with the Lord, her ministry exploded. She began to have 100% authority over deaf ears. Every time she would come into a village in this region and someone was deaf, every single time ears would pop open. Hundreds of people were raised from the dead, including little infants with, with AIDS. Hundreds of, of uh, thousands of orphans and thousands of churches were planted because she had an encounter and she looked into his eyes. I think about that. I, I've had moments where I, sometimes I just have to set my gaze to have a, a, a reset on on the, the people that I love and, and how they touch my heart when I look at my wife and my kids. And sometimes my, I, I begin to gaze at them and I, my heart begins to be captured by the love that I have for them. It's the same thing with Jesus. When you set your eyes on him and you see his eyes, it burns something in you. It brands your heart with a love for the master. It, it, it changes who you are. One encounter with God can change your life forever. Think about this verse here that we're reading, that John knew Jesus so well, yet he saw the master in a whole new light, refined his his eyes, and his eyes were like fire. His countenance was like the shining of the sun, the strength of the sun. And look at verse 17 with me, if you would. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I'm not going to belittle people telling stories that they have visions of heaven. But there's something about this story, as well as he knew Jesus, it says that he fell on his, he he fell at his feet like a dead man. Jesus is not a, a baby in a manger anymore. Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. And Jesus isn't on, out of the empty tomb. Jesus isn't just the Jesus that ascended at the Mount of Olives. He is seated on the throne. He is glorified. He is the master. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. Can we move past? Now, we never, never forget what happened at the cross, but don't serve the one that you see hanging on the cross. And don't stop at the empty tomb. We understand it's the death, burial, and resurrection. His life saved us. And we know that he ascended into heaven. Maybe he said, see, uh, wouldn't want to be, uh, he didn't say that, but he sent him out in power and he's, he's ascending into heaven, but don't stop there. You have to see him like Stephen did when he's being stoned and he's looking and he says, I see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God. 
Although John knew him, although John had had a great revelation of Jesus, Jesus was the one that he loved. He was loved by Jesus. He rested his head on the heart of the master. He was the one that was at the cross when everybody else left. He outran Peter. He was at the Mount of Olives. But he saw Jesus in a whole new light in Revelation chapter 1. How many would say, I want to know him? I'm going to say, I want, I want God to hit the reset button on my heart. Would you lift your hands with me? Sometimes our lives and the message of our life and our ability to reflect you as believers is so small only because we have made you small in our eyes. But if we as believers understand that we are seated with you, that we have access to you, and that you want to reveal who you are to us in a greater way, that you want to pour out your love upon us, God. The love of the Father that that just changes us. We don't want to be so presumptuous to say that well, God lives in my heart, although you do. We don't want to be so presumptuous with the arrogance of ex- exclusivity where you have to tell us heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. You are so much bigger and you will always be bigger than our revelation of you. But we're asking you, Father, to unveil who you are to our hearts so that we can truly be world changers and manifest the kingdom because we've seen the king. We will never sit in our pews with a spirit of complacency in this area, but we declare we want to know you. Would you say that? Just say, I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know the real Jesus. I don't, I don't want to just, the image that, that I may, may have had years past, the image that I might have had of Jesus on the cross being raised Catholic. He's not on the cross, but he's, he's not just the resurrected Jesus. He's not just the ascended Jesus. He is the glorified Messiah. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. He is the great I Am. His eyes are like flames of fire. Shekayama Sotaya. His hair is white as wool. His face shines like the sun. The splendor of your glory, Lord. Just just beyond Revelation 2 and 3 in chapter 4, John sees in heaven and they're looking for someone who's worthy to open the scroll and they couldn't find any and he began to weep and then he heard the angels and the and the creatures and the four living creatures crying holy 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 is the lord god it says they do not cease to say worthy is the lamb 
They do not cease to say, holy is the Lord. And it says when they do this, the 24 elders bow down. They fall down. They lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus because they're worshiping the glorified Jesus. Not the little baby in the manger. Not just the one on the cross. Not just the empty tomb or the ascended one, but the glorified one who is seated at the right hand of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one when we confess the name of Yeshua, the Hebrew name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah! 